And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here from The Athletic along with Randy Mueller, the GM. How you doing, Randy? Great weekend of football. Unbelievable. Happy to be here, Mike. Good to be with you again. Yeah, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. It was the end of the road, it looked like, for Drew Brees. We got some thoughts on there. Randy, some personal reflections. Tom Brady on the doorstep of a 10th Super Bowl. What stands out there? We're going to talk about some of the hiring that's going on, right? I think we've got, what, five head coaching jobs accounted for, hired at this point. A couple more to go. Uh, we'll talk about the championship round. We're going to talk about Hall of Fame voting. I'm going to spend my Tuesday on a, uh, if I didn't have enough Zoom experience, I'm probably going to have about 12 hours uh, or whatever it could be. I have no idea. I mean, usually we meet the day before the Super Bowl for Hall of Fame voting, but Randy and I will discuss that. We'll go through the 15 modern era finalists. Randy will tell us what we should do, how we should vote, <laughs> and how we should amend this process. Without further ado, Randy Mueller, let's head in to some of our thoughts coming out of the divisional round. We've got the the championship round set. we got Tampa Bay. Oh, we get our picks this week, too. That's another topic. But we've got Tampa Bay going to the frozen tundra. We've got the Buffalo Bills going to beat maybe Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs, we sure hope so. But end of the road, New Orleans looks like for Drew Brees. What did you see? It looked time, didn't it? It doesn't look time for him to move on. Yeah, it it sure did. I mean, I don't think it's a secret. I mean, everybody's been talking about it for the last month or so down there. But yeah, I mean, again, I always feel sad when I when I think the end is here, whether it's, you know, Big Ben or Philip. And we've talked about those guys before. But, you know, I just I just felt like Drew was a shadow of what he used to be, you know, and he, he obviously couldn't throw the deep ball. That's been well documented and came out to rear its head uh, yesterday. I mean, they had to put Jameis Winston in to throw the ball downfield, and that was their only big play of the game. So, uh, yeah, I also think there's a lot of other things that involve the Saints but uh, that we can get into. But, yeah, the Drew Brees story is front and center, and uh, it always takes me back to stories of what almost happened when we were in Miami, that's for sure. All right, we're going to get to that in a minute. Because, but first on Brady, on Breeze, here's something I was thinking. So I felt like I wasn't that sad yesterday because they had a successful season. I think he got to see that it's time. He wasn't humiliated, yeah, right. you know, looking like an absolute shell of himself. He was still, he could still manage the offense. They could, they could get some yards. But I thought he was going to retire last off season, right. and I wondered in my mind if he didn't like the idea of Tom Brady being available. I th- I wonder if Brady would have gone to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Brady would have won a Super Bowl with the Saints, yeah. which he easily could have done with that defense, Kamara. I mean, no it really doubt. would have been set up for him. And I, I wonder if a small part of Drew Brees' brain was like, dude, I, ca- I can't let the, you know, you know what, I'm coming back. If yeah. Tom's going to do this, I'm going to saddle up one more year. And, and we'll never know, but... Uh, that did come to my mind. Could you imagine Brady? Brady having playing for the Saints. I mean, I think they'd be better than they are now. 
No doubt about it. I mean, he's um, obviously two icons, two special people. And, and you're right. When 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 some people did think Drew was going to retire last year, you wondered what would become of him. They didn't really have a plan going forward to talk him into coming back for one more year. Um, yeah, I mean, and then just kind of the way it went down, right? The punctured lung, the 10 or 11 broken ribs, just the extremes that he had to go through to play this year makes you wonder, was it really worth it or not? And I guess I, I can ask you a question for a change. 13 years, one Super Bowl. What does that mean to you about his tenure there? Oh, unbelievable. You know, I think that, so they were top 10 on offense every year he was there. Okay, you you tell me how many guys have that. Uh, and so what I did, I'm actually going to write a column uh, that should be up sometime on Tuesday. I went through and just put a ranking together statistically on where they were on defense slash special teams every year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in his tenure of those, whatever, it's 15 seasons, I guess, from 06 to 2020, 15 seasons, they ranked in the top half of the league combined defense and special teams three times. Okay. Wow. So they were 17 to 32 every other year. You have an offensive head coach. You're paying your quarterback a lot. The Greg Williams thing is a, very underrated. I mean, how many people get their guy, their their defensive culture setter for better or worse? Obviously, we know the bad, but Greg brought an edge to them that in combination with the offense, they had something going. Okay. So in the three years they were above the, in the top half of the league, they won the Super Bowl one year. They were 12th on defensive special teams. The other two years are the last two years. They were 10th and 6th. Well, by now, Breeze is diminishing. He's hurt. It. He's hurt. They're having to scheme up the offense to have Jameis throw the touchdown. They're, they're weaving in Taysom Hill. If they could have had this defense earlier, which you can't control. Look, they hit it on the 2017 draft. Right. You can't do that every year. You're not going to have a right. special draft every mm-hmm. year. But That's right. if they could have had a couple more of these years, people don't understand. When Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl, their defense was historically great in the playoffs because Bob Sanders came back. It was real bad in the regular season, but came back in the playoffs, they didn't allow anything. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady's had good defenses. He's right. got one this year. Why does Aaron Rodgers have only one title? Because they've been all over the map on defense and special teams. Right. You give a Breeze, a Brady, these guys, even above average, just top half of the league, right. they'll win Super Bowls. And Tom's done it. Breeze did it with... One out of, the th- out of the three years that he had a, a decent defense special teams, they won the Super Bowl. So that's my takeaway from him and, and all these guys. Yeah. No, I think those are all good points. I agree with you. I think, you know, every, I've heard it written that, that it was a little bit of an underachievement during his era there. I would happen to agree with you. I think they've done greater things than they ever would have done without. I also think it's a great tribute to a combination coach quarterback. I mean, yep. we can say what we want about Sean Payton and some of the th- crazy things he has done, um, whether it's ego driven or whatever. But the guy is a heck of a coach. I mean, he's been awesome. And this combination has worked wonders. Uh, the fact that I think their offense to do just what you said, just to point out your numbers, and it was able to endure all of that tells me that I think they're in good hands going forward, too. I understand they have a ton of change that they're going to go through. They're way over it cap-wise. They've got coaches going out the door. They've got front office people going out the door. But to me, that stuff's exciting. I think Mickey will find a way to put it together, Mickey Loomis, the GM. I think they will find a way to retool, recharge, re-energize. That's the stuff that I wish I was still there because I love those kind of challenges. You know, That's why the GMs get paid what they get paid. You know, it, and it'll be fun to watch how this happens. It will be. Now, most guys, you know, 
there's two records for you. There's your record when you have the tier one quarterback, right? John Elway, what a GM when he had Peyton Manning, right? 45 (laughs) and 12. And then there's the record without that guy. Even Belichick's 45% winner in his career without Tom Brady. So it will be a challenge, but if you're going to have anybody try to do it, I mean, you've got great cohesiveness between Sean and Mickey, been there a long time. Sean knows what he's doing, what he's looking for. And Drew has been declining. So they've been able to win... Anyway, not that Drew wasn't part of it, but let's go back in time where we promised people the, the story. So you were general manager of the Dolphins. I, th- As I remember, you dang near signed Drew Brees when you were there. <laughs> What's the backstory on that? Well, that, and, and really, I thought about all this last night with, with the yeah. end of his era coming to fruition. It yeah. kind of took me back. And yes, uh, when he was... On his way out of San Diego, he was a free agent. San Diego had drafted Philip Rivers, so Drew Brees wasn't coming back. But he had hurt his shoulder, and we all know about the career-ending implications that uh, came with it. But he was able to find his way back to what he did, and we just talked about that. But yes, um, we recruited him. We, as in Nick Saban and I, when we were in Miami, I remember the first morning of free agency, having breakfast with him and Brittany, his wife. They didn't even have any kids yet then. We are sitting (laughs) on the street corner in... Birmingham on the opening morning of free agent, talking it all through, you know, and it was just Nick and I and the two of them. And he was in Birmingham rehabbing his shoulder at the time. And we kind of set the course for the next couple of days. He was going to go to New Orleans first, which he did. Then he was going to come to Miami. We even had another offensive lineman or two that were coming at the same time on free agent visits in Miami. I remember Drew recruited these offensive linemen the night he was in Miami. We were going out to dinner. We had uh, two or three different dinner parties uh, going out at the same time. But Drew was able to shake hands and meet them all. And and we had selected Drew. We, we thought he was going to be our guy. I think he pretty much had agreed to to this is where he wanted to be. He told us that morning in Birmingham on the street corner. The rest is kind of history, but we went through quite an ordeal for two days there. And when he went to get his physical, Tom Condon and I had kind of worked out the structure of a deal. I remember having it on a napkin in my pocket at the same time Drew was getting his physical. Wow. And Yep. And then I get a call from Nick and says, hey, come on down to my office. There's something I got to talk about, talk to you about. I just hung up with the doctors. And so I go down to Nick. Saban's office and we sit down and it looked like he had seen a ghost when I walked in there for starters. Oh, man. And, and again, we had a 60 million, a, a six, six year deal, 10 million a year. I remember the numbers to this day. We even had a jersey made up with dolphins, a dolphin jersey with his name on it for the press conference. It was a done deal. We were ready to do this. And the doctors told us that day, Mike, they said he has a 70, 30 chance of being able to throw like he did before. And the 70 was that he couldn't. He had a 30% chance that he could. And they even thought it was 50-50 if he'd be able to play again. Wow. So So then what happened? So did ownership (laughs) get involved? Were you going to do it anyway? Or did everybody get cold feet? No, we couldn't. Here's here's the the kicker. We couldn't go against them. At the time, the doctors of the Dolphins were personal friends with Wayne Huizinga, the owner. There's no way we could go against their recommendation. I mean, that was a straight wow. license for us to be fired if we did that. What would be different? Would Nick Saban be this legendary coach of yeah. the Dolphins? I mean, well, Nick and I talk about it. We've talked about it several times. If that had come back different, that report, we said we'll, we'd still be in Miami 10 years later. And there, there would have been no Alabama dynasty. There would have been all kinds of stuff that changed the course of the football landscape had the report come back different. And I remember this, Tom Condon, I had to call him and tell him, Tom is, is Drew's agent, as some of, some of us know. He said, you got to give me an hour before this gets out. In other words, we had knew he was coming there, but he wanted a chance to go back and make the deal with New Orleans. 
So he came back and then made the deal with New Orleans. And it, mind, mind you, this is my brother. This is my best friend, Mickey. These are all the guys in New Orleans that I had brought there. Absolutely, because so, you were GM of the, yes, of of the, the Saints, Saints. Uh, uh, two years before. So it was all craziness for about a day and a half there. I remember texting my brother and just saying, hey, be careful. Our doctors were a little leery. And how, how would I know the joke was on me and us? Because they ended up signing off on the deal. They got him. They were desperate. They said that at the time. We're going to do he, – he's going to pass our physical. Trust me. You know, and he did. And wow. You know, just think how close the world came to not having the football GM <laughs> podcast. I mean, clearly you would, you would still be down there in Miami. Crazy. <laughs> this reminds me of a story, though. I was talking to Ron Wolf one time about uh, it was for something we were doing on Favre, and uh, you know he he acquired Brett Favre from uh, Atlanta when he was new in Green Bay, and Favre had been on the outs with the coaching staff there. I think it was Glanville, probably or something, <laughs> and uh, so he swings his trade. You know, he's he's a new GM there. He's sort of putting his butt on the line on Favre. So they yeah. acquire him, first round pick, whatever they trade. He didn't pass their physical, and the wow. doctor told uh, Ron, "Hey, uh, he's got a hip issue here. We can't do this." Mm-hmm. Well, unlike you with Hyzinga in Miami, there's no freaking owner in yeah. in, uh, yeah. hey, in Green that's Bay. That's a big benefit. Yeah. Ron, fought, Ron got new doctors. He fired the doctors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, people have he, no idea how this yeah. works. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But Ron said the color left his face, too. He was like, holy shit. Did I just make the biggest blunder of my yeah. life? This guy's never going to play. Right. He turned out never missing a game. He was the most durable guy ever. Yeah. And the doctor, so you learn these lessons along the way. Now, you couldn't have done anything with the ownership there. But the doctors, people are involved. They're trying to sometimes protect themselves. Not be, yeah. They'd rather have you not sign the guy than sign off on a guy who doesn't pan out. Isn't that sort oh, of yeah. true on a lot of these things? No, it's crazy. Yeah, everybody's butts on the line one way or another. I remember the conversation with Drew that Nick and I had. Drew was in tears. He said, well, let's work out the contract to where there's no risk so we can reduce the risk. He was willing to do anything, but we still couldn't do it because our medical information was totally off the kind of took it all off the board. So it was crazy. I mean, it's. Yeah, you know, I didn't remember it, it was that close. But you know what? I'm not surprised you haven't forgotten because <laughs> they talk about the consequences of these things for yeah. organizations, for lives, for legacies. All yeah. of these things are are so uh What's the word? Precarious. They're just precarious yeah. how things can just turn change. on a dime. And yeah. They turn on a dime. And that leads us into our second topic here with Tom Brady, because all of a sudden the Patriots aren't very good. And all of a sudden the Buccaneers are in the playoffs, uh, 12 and 5, hadn't been right. in the playoffs in a long time. I think you probably had to go back uh, maybe to Gruden uh, as the head coach of the team. Could so be, yeah. that certainly is changing uh, fates of people. I mean, when you look at the general manager in Tampa Bay, the coach, I mean, all yeah. of a sudden you're on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. The season's a success. Yeah. Right now the Bucks season's a success. Even if they lose by 15 points to Green Bay, it is a success. Is it that simple, though, Randy, in terms of Tom Brady shows up? How much of it is Tom Brady? How much of it is what else is going on? It's clearly, it's it's got a, it's not a coincidence that Brady shows up and, they, and they're no. suddenly good. I think it's a testament to all of them that they finally worked it out. I mean, we're sitting here halfway through the year saying, what's wrong with Tampa? They're not – they're all confused. They're not – they don't have the right offense. You know, Brady's having to learn this, learn that different. I think what happened was – and I don't know this for sure, but I think Bruce Aarons kind of got out of the way and let Byron Leftwich and – Tom Brady run the offense. That's what I think. And again, I don't have any inside source to that, but it looked to me like those two were on the same page for the second half of the season more than ever, especially the last few weeks. 
And I think they ran a lot of the stuff Tom was comfortable with. And thus, they were able to run the ball. That was evident again yesterday. And I think they've had luck on their side, too, to be honest with you. I mean, hey, first round, they go to Washington and play a team with a losing record with a quarterback that's a reject yeah. from the XFL. You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. What, what are the odds of that? And so they win yeah. that game. Then they go to New Orleans and, and get the worst of Drew Brees, not his fault, just the way it is, without yep. – Taysom Hill without, you know, half of their weapons that they've had yep. all year. Michael long. Thomas was out there, but it was yeah, like Michael he wasn't Thomas. Out there. What's wrong with him? That's a whole nother podcast there. That one disappeared fast. And anyway, so yeah, they've they've been the recipient of some pretty good fortune as well. But now they got one game. Now it's down to one game, him and Aaron Rodgers. Who knows what can happen? I, I think a lot of the talk was Breeze Brady, but a lot of the talk coming out of it, in my opinion, should be Tampa's defense. I thought they mailed it in against the Washington football team. Yeah. I thought they mailed it in. I didn't think they played good at all. They played passive. They laid off everything. They let Taylor Handicke look like Sonny yeah. Jurgensen, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, not the case yesterday. They came after New Orleans, got in Breeze's face. They played press coverage on the outside. So a totally different dynamic. Yep. You young listeners out there, Google, go go on YouTube, look up Sonny Jurgensen's Behind the Back Pass. You, you remember that one, Randy? From, oh, yeah. He, yeah. He throws the ball, he's out there practicing, he throws the ball about 40 yards on a rope. It's better than any pass Drew Brees through this year behind his back. <laughs> uh, just trust me, okay, on Sonny. But I'm with you on that, and I I think the defense really took it to Green Bay in the first meeting. I mean, that was really what carried it. I mean, they had to pick right. six. They really got pressure quickly. And in my amateur opinion, I would love to know what you think of this. I felt like... You know, Green Bay is really good offensively when they're a balanced setup and they mm-hmm. they got the run going, the pass. Rodgers can still make amazing throws. He he's incredible, like running the whole show at the line of scrimmage and and right. just uh, I mean he's just dripping with leadership and all time great control of the situation, right? right? But but they don't have a lot of weapons besides Adams that can really win one on one quickly, right? And when you get pressure on them or jam up that run game like Tampa did, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they are as adaptable as you should be with Aaron Rodgers controlling it. And when I, when I think of them at their best in that type of element, I think of a wink and a hand signal of Jordy Nelson. I think of mm-hmm. having four or five guys, J- Jennings, Driver, Jermichael Finley, who have all done this, all been there before, who are real pros. And, they're, and Aaron isn't just worried about them doing the basic. Today, he's hoping Veldez-Scantling doesn't trip and drop the ball on the deep route. Right, right. He's hoping Lazard doesn't have it go off of his fingertips. But with those guys, there's a nuance to the passing game that I think they don't have now. Mm-hmm. Even though it looks great, 480 yards, 28 first downs, all of that, whatever. So are they vulnerable because of that? As you're going to now go against a, a Bucks defense, or if you were in a shootout-type game with Kansas City, even Buffalo... Is there a limitation to this offense because of that, and could it hurt them? There might be, but I also think there's a benefit to having played Tampa already in this case for just the, some okay. of the reasons you're talking about, because they've had some hit and miss. They've had some trial and error already. They've seen what Tampa did to them before, so they're going to obviously have a plan for that. I do think the one thing that, that he has, uh, Aaron Rodgers has, is the tight end Tanyan. I think he's effective at getting open in quick spaces and catching when he's covered. And he's almost like a big wide receiver, right? So I think he's a definite weapon for him, especially between the numbers. But I agree with you as a whole, and we talked about it early in one of these podcasts, was the amount of volume uh, receivers that they don't have. But I do think the other guys have stepped up. Obviously, the running game has stepped up. But like you said, they've got to find a way to run the ball efficiently enough to where it allows 
the pressure to stay off of Aaron in the pass rush. Those are the two things. I want to hey, I want to ask you this one from my column today. So remember they took Jordan Love. It was a big uh, yep. to do over it because Aaron Rodgers had even publicly said, "I want a receiver." You notice when Brady says he wants a receiver, they get Antonio Brown. They sign Gronkowski. When when Rodgers says he wants a receiver, they draft a quarterback. Right. So right. the in the thirty two picks after they took Love, these are the five receivers that went. Okay, which one of these guys in your eyes would improve the Packers Super Bowl chances this year the most? Okay, I'll go through the five guys: T Higgins. Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault Jr., K.J. Hamler, and Chase Claypool. Which one of those guys would you want to plug in down the stretch, or would none of them make that big of a difference compared to what they got? I'm going to answer crazily, but I'd rather have Jordan Love than the guys you just mentioned. Now, if you mentioned Jefferson or one of these other guys that jumped to the front, those are difference makers. But I think the drafting of Jordan Love as a quarterback – pushed Aaron Rodgers to be exactly what he is right now. He was pissed, Mike. He didn't want any part of this. He was challenged in every way. His ego was bruised. He didn't think this was coming at all. And I think it has refocused him. I think it's changed the way he went about his offseason. I really think you could make a case for even though Love has not played one snap, that he's been a giant valuable addition to them. I really think he has. I don't I don't love any of those receivers that you just mentioned either. I mean, they're all good players, don't get me wrong, but I don't I don't feel a difference maker in there. I think if you could have got a difference maker. You know, like I mentioned, the Jefferson kid that went to Minnesota or something like that, that's fine. Of those group, of that group you mentioned, maybe Claypool is the guy who who gives them some juice. But he's, again, I don't know if you would have had this version of Aaron Rodgers if you drafted anything else. Yes. Do you think that that's what they wanted to do? Do you think that's I think what it was they were part doing? of it. I think yeah. it was definitely part of it, and no one would ever admit that. I mean, obviously, Brian Gutekunst can't mi- or admit that. Just pull the range a little tighter there and say, yes. hey, listen, pal. Let me just yank this a little bit here. <laughs> we've, we've had a guy who really didn't buy into the coach last year, wasn't on the same page with the offense last year. Okay, well, here's we'll, 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 we'll be okay with that, but we're going we're gonna to yank the chain just a little bit here to see if we can refocus. And I think... Again, no one's going to admit it, but I think it's played a factor, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Matt LaFleur's been um, obviously a great hire. I mean, he, he's hardly lost any games. They just took it to the Rams. They're favored, obviously, at home against Tampa Bay, uh, which brings us to our next topic, which is the hiring front and coaches. I've got kind of some notes here, but we've got seven head coach openings, two remain open, Texans. Uh, you just look for the smoke over there and you can see where they are. Uh, Eagles, there's smoke there, too. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's not quite as ominous or foreboding of smoke. We we have the Chargers, Jets, Lions, Falcons, and Jaguars having made hires. And Randy, one thing I was looking at, I got to look at my little sheet here. And I'm not saying this is bad because there's been a lot of good coaches who got hired without having a ton of coordinating experience. Mike Tomlin's one of them. Andy Reid had never been one. Mm-hmm. Good coaches are good coaches. And you can yep. find guys, Brian Flores never had even been a defensive coordinator. So, right. But Brandon Staley... One year of coordinator, four years in the league as a head coach with the Chargers. Arthur Smith, two years as a coordinator, 10 years in the league. Dan Campbell, zero years as a coordinator. He's got 11 years in the league. Salah's got four. Urban Meyer, let's put him in a different category. Uh, He's a head coach who's obviously been elite and turned around um, programs. But before we get into the team by team, any. Does that strike you as anything or no? That's just, hey, you, you find a guy, you think he's up and coming and go with him. I think each team, it tells me each team had a little different criteria. That's for sure. I think some de- depended on experience, some perspective. 
to fit within a, a structure in a building like we've said all along. We've said these guys have to fit the agenda of the people that are already there in most cases. I mean, you don't have to look any further than the Chargers hire. I yeah. guess the peculiar thing about that one was five years ago, this guy was a defensive coordinator at a Division three school in college. I mean, I, that to me is crazy. <laughs> that That's the fastest ascension. That that uh, ascension uh, rivals Jack Easterby in, Texas, in the Texans, you know? <laughs> I mean, you can have four or five years in the league and be the head decision maker. That's crazy. But, you know, that's what they wanted. They didn't really want okay. someone to have an influence in personnel or do some of the other things these coaches come with, whether it's a strong personality or what. But each of these places had their own criteria. Who knows? I think there's merits for, for all of them. There's probably a, a, a hole or two in all of them as well. I, I like the uh, Campbell hire from Detroit because I think he's been around long enough to know, and everybody I talk to that's been around Dan Campbell, Campbell has been talked about um, glowingly by a lot of people that I respect. The Bill Parcells, the, the you know, Sean Paytons, these guys all hang their hat on Campbell as a leader and even the scouts and the other people in the Saints organization. So I can see that he's going to lead in, in his yeah. own way. I think he fits the personality of what Detroit needs right now. Uh, they also have a young kind of inexperienced uh, personnel guy. Now it's their GM. So I think the fit there is a pretty good one. So I think is you he, can make a case. Yeah. Yeah. Is he a Vrabel type uh, of hire? You said, you know, I would say very much so. Yes. Very much I mean, so. He looks like he could kick your ass. I mean, yeah, mine, he's going to come in with some personality now. Yeah. He's going to be, you're going to hear him. You know, maybe before you see him sometimes, but that's yeah. not a bad thing either. That's that's what they want there. They want to get their attention a little bit. I understand. He's an offensive guy for the most part, but he kind of comes with a defensive mentality, if that makes any sense. Being yeah. a tight end, he's in, been involved his whole life in passing game and running game. So I don't think there's any doubt that he'll put a good staff together and he'll manage that staff. That's where his what he'll bring to the table is he'll manage that staff and the team. Yeah, yeah. So that is an interesting. I can remember. You know, when they hired Caldwell, people were sort of like, oh, I wish they would have got so-and-so or whatever. And, and he was a good hire for um, his own reasons of what they needed at the time. So Chargers, we, we've been talking about this all year. We know that they're looking for someone to kind of fit in with their structure, yep. maybe not going to rock the boat too much. My concern there is after four years in the league, it's hard to hire staff, you know. So who yeah. do you get could be important. Um, that's going to be really interesting. He did do a really good job with the Rams this year. So, But that's um, one of the reasons he got the job too, Mike, because I think they're going to keep the offensive staff. Yeah, yeah. The old staff that was there under under yeah, uh, with Shane Steichen and right. yeah, some of those so guys, that that so. he fits again with the agenda that's already there. Yep, yep. He's not going to disrupt the guys who are making the decisions there um, in that building. With with Jets, I'm I, I believe what you have said about I want someone with experience to go in there and not be a first time head coach. But I kind of like Robert Sala for. Being kind of the opposite of Gates, not just on the defensive side of the ball, but I think he's going to clearly enunciate loudly exactly what he wants to do, and it's going mm -hmm. to be no doubt about what they want to be. And I have felt like that's been my, one of my criticisms of Gates when he was there. It's like, what are we trying to be? You know, what a lot is of gray offense? area, a lot yeah, of gray what, area, a lot of stuff not communicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I think Salah, just having listened to him, he's going to have his ten point plan or whatever it is, and that's what we're going to do. And right. he's going to be able to explain it, enunciate it, talk about it after the game. You're going to know where he stands. You know, if we had to give this one, two, or three stars, how many are you giving this higher? Well, I'd give it two plus for sure. I mean, yeah, okay. I think if you're going to have a first-time coach, I think this guy fits in New York with that 
idea. Would I have rather had a, a more experienced guy who's been through it a little bit? Yes. But like you said, I think this guy is going to come in with a plan. I don't think anybody's going to doubt it. I think he'll risk it. He'll command the room. He'll command the city. People will, will bounce behind him. I think the, the media in New York wants somebody that everybody else wants. And everybody else wanted Robert Sala. So that kind of sold the media on him. And that's a big deal there. So I'm good with that hire. I think it'll be fine. And we'll see if they can find a few players now to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. They need that. And we'll see what happens with Sam Darnold. Um, I do think going with the the Shanahan type of offense is fine with me. Yeah. I feel like they need a structure. I'm not sure what Adam Gase wants to run or what it's supposed to look like. And I think we're going to know now that, hey, a lot of sort of middle tier quarterbacks have had some success in an offense like that. So we'll see if Lafleur is up to it. He's got a pretty good last name. His brother's doing pretty well and has a clear <laughs> vision of what he wants to do. So I, I'm eager to see that one. Falcons go with Arthur Smith. I wonder if we're going to have any business deals here between Arthur Smith's dad, the head of FedEx. I think there's some marketing Arthur deals Blank. maybe in there. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Arthur here. You're going to have to go talk to Arthur. Do you, do you mean the head coach or the big guy upstairs? Uh, uh, but Arthur Smith certainly in a couple of years has been impressive as the as the OC of, you know, of the Titans. But what do you think here? They've had a defensive coaches forever. I don't think it matters, offense or defense. I think I like the hire because I think he, is, he has paid his dues. He's come up doing the dirty work. He knows the business. Everybody I talk to there that's been around him says he's a respectful, good coach, very good communicator. The thing that told me a lot about him was, and we're joking about who his father is and where he came from. I know people in that building that were there five or six years with Arthur and never knew for five or six years about his family or where he came from. Yep, That's a credit, in my opinion. That is a great accolade. When, I've heard when, that too, yeah. Yeah, when, when, when your father is a billionaire and nobody knows it, I think you've conducted your life in a pretty good way that, that I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be very relatable to the players. I think they'll like him. And I think his, I always think, where, where will his value come from? His value is going to come from game planning and from calling the plays. And hopefully he continues to do that because he has done a good job of that the last couple of years. He showed enough flexibility to run the system that his players have strengths to run. I think that's a good hire. And they hired a young kid that sounds like from New Orleans, Terry Fontenot, to be the GM who is the pro scouting guy in New Orleans. I think that's a good hire, too, because he'll have a guy like Rich McKay to lean on uh, in the front office, a guy that's been a proven GM in the league for a long time. So there's some thought process there. I think the two of them will work good together. We'll see what kind of staffs they put together. But I'm good with where the Falcons ended up as well. Yeah, absolutely. Our last one is the Jaguars with Urban Meyer, probably the big, clearly the biggest name of all of these. I think I'm OK with it for I'm, I'm OK with it for this reason. I'm just sort of excited to watch it. Like, I want to see how it goes. I want to see how he transitions to the NFL. I want to see if they're 0 and 8, whether, you yeah. know, there's some medical concerns and he needs to take some, you know, time down or how he how he just goes about the whole thing. Would you be optimistic if you were working there and they had Urban Meyer with Trevor Lawrence? Is that something you think can succeed in the NFL? Oh, I think it definitely can succeed. I mean, the biggest issue when when uh, any coach takes over a job is not having a quarterback, right? Well, he's got one in this case. So uh, I think everybody will be in agreement that that's the top pick. I think the biggest thing for Urban going forward is how he's going to handle the losing, how he's going to handle the – he's going to get his butt kicked a few times. There's no doubt. And that hasn't happened to him in a long time. So he's saying the right things. I've listened to enough of what he said the last few days or the last week or so where I'm obviously I'm impressed with the – way he handles himself, the media and all that. We'll see when when uh, it gets yeah. down to uh, 
playing games with equal talent on both sides of the field. That's not something he had to do very often at Florida or at Ohio State. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, and you were with Saban, of course, too. How did he handle that? Because obviously you come in and you're not the best team. It was very hard. It was very hard. It, it ate away at Nick. His first year, we went nine and seven, but the second year, we went six and 10. And it ate on him. It was really hard. I think the biggest thing, once those guys get in there and get settled, is they have to deal with the players different. And that was a, a little bit of a learning curve for Nick, dealing and communicating with men as opposed to kids, you know, yep. uh, teenagers. We don't have 85 scholarships. We only have 53, so we can't really run anybody off, you know. We can't browbeat somebody down to where they won't come back tomorrow. We don't. We can't put in the backup because the backup's not as good as the guy who started. So you've got to treat them all with quite a, a different attitude in my mind. And I've heard Urban already address this, he, and he admitted he can't coach like he did at Bowling Green and some of the other places. So we'll see if, if there's the maturity there to, 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 one, be coached by the players, and, two, by the coaches – to coach them like men. That'll be the big thing that people will want to see on a day-to-day basis. Yep. Now, we're not done with this hiring class. There's two more to go. But one of the big stories that's going to come out of this is how the league is done on its diversity initiatives with basically none of the black candidates uh, getting the jobs uh, so far, zero for five. Robert Sala of Lebanese descent. So, you know, that's going to factor into it. But here the league, you know, adopted all of these protocols. You're going to have to interview uh, multiple candidates of diversity. And here's Eric Bieniemy going along and, and other guys. I mean, I'm sure if, you know, I was on the phone today with somebody from the Fritz Pollard Alliance. They're like, hey, do you think if it, you think if uh, if the quarterback coach for Justin Herbert was a white guy, maybe he'd be getting an interview instead of Pep Hamilton's just not even mm-hmm. getting an interview with anybody. So we'll see how some of th- those things go. Have you been surprised that Bieniemy in particular – hasn't gotten more run. And who knows, maybe he maybe he'll be hired by the Texans. But yeah. so far, some of those names, whether it's Leslie Frazier, you know, um, others who we thought might be in the mix have not been. Um, what do you what do we make of that? Yeah. Um, two things. One, I think the league to the contrary would be happy with the GM status with two yep. GMs minorities getting hired. That's Progress. Almost never happened. Yeah. yeah, never happened. So I'm happy about that. Um, there, I, I do not know Eric Bieniemy in, in his specific case. I don't know what's been people's hesitation to hire him. Obviously, everybody comes away with glowing recommendations and all that. I don't know what's missing. I don't know about the disconnect. If you have some minorities in the GM chairs, maybe that opens some doors down I the think road that's as well. The biggest development is, yeah. to, is to have two come in the GM route is a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, because it can affect who comes in as candidates and who is developed in the building. And certainly now, with the Rams getting two third-round picks for Brad Holmes getting the GM job, yeah. I mean, those are that's amazing. That's completely yeah. different than anything's happened before. One last point on this that I need to look into, because I do I track a lot of the hiring stuff, and I'm always interested in who gets these jobs and, and the paths that people take and their, and their backgrounds. When I was talking to my contact from Fritz Pollard Alliance today, he said... Historically, if you look at the hires, a lot of times the last one, the, the minority candidates are hired for one of the last two that are open. Right. And I haven't looked at that, but uh, his theory was that the early plum jobs go to the, you know, the big name or the hot candidate or that sort of thing. And then you get down to the, the burning buildings. You got Texans, you got the Eagles, and now 
hey, here comes Eric Bieniemy, or here comes into that type of environment. So we'll see how that goes. But it's something I wanted to address because it's been a yeah. big initiative in the league um, this year, and there's going to be a lot of frustrated people if it goes the way that it continues going. But we'll see on yeah, the last I two agree. hires. Be interesting Let's to get, follow yeah. throughout for sure. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's head into championship round picks. And, you know, I used to, Randy, go back every week and say how we did last <laughs> week because I wanted to be accountable. I don't know if anybody cares. I can't remember. So I think last week, did I pick Tampa? I don't think I think, think I so. wanted Tampa. You did? I th- I'm going to say I picked I Tampa. Know. Somebody else can go back and then tweet us on it. <laughs> um, I wanted to. I was afraid they. I was afraid they were going to lose, but I sort of wanted to lean with them. I think we were both on Green Bay, yep. uh, and we're willing to give the points. So this week, Tampa Bay at Green Bay. Green Bay favored by three and a half. Yep. The Packers probably should win it by a touchdown. I would think. I would yep. go with Green Bay and, and give the points and think that. They're just rolling a little bit right now, and that in that environment with the cold, it will be harder for Tampa Bay. Do you see a path for the Bucks? Would you see it differently? I don't. I'm with you. I like Green Bay in this matchup. I, again, referenced the earlier game. I think that's an advantage to the loser and the way they lost. I think they'll have full attention on what didn't work before. So it's kind of the trial and error. They got a free pass last time Green Bay did it. They lost and didn't hurt them any. Now they can use that film. They can use that plan. I don't think, you know, there's only so many things Tampa can do different to change. And I think that's an advantage for Green Bay because it didn't work for them. What they did last time didn't work. So 
I'm with Green Bay. Um, I think they will win the game. I, I worry a little bit about Tom Brady and, and some of the cold weather issues at this point in his life. I don't, you know, I get, we all get a little thin, thin blooded and thin skinned, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons that I've heard him mention <laughs> it a couple of times. One of the reasons he left New England was to get into the sunshine. So I think uh, he likes it down there. Yeah. Yeah. I think he likes it and you can tell, I mean, he looks great. So, uh, I'm, I'm with green Bay on this pick and, uh, yeah, you know, I'd be surprised if they don't win the game. Yep. So now Buffalo, Kansas City, obviously Mahomes' status is huge here. Let's assume Mahomes plays. He had a foot that's bothering him too. I sort of feel like, look, both these teams at their best. I'm with Kansas City all the way. There's something about Buffalo's energy and their fuller strength. And this Mahomes thing just concerns me a little bit. Miss a week of practice. I mean, I'm not convinced yet this early in the week that he's going to be absolutely 100%, even if he does play. How do you feel after watching him? Are you as comfortable picking Kansas City? I'm not. In fact, I'm going to go the other way. I like Buffalo in this game. I didn't think Mahomes played great before he got hurt the other day. I'm jumping on the Buffalo bandwagon, believe it or not. I just think, like you mentioned, the the planets are aligned, right? They've got a lot of things going in their favor. Without the hail... Murray, they've won how many in a row? 12, yeah. 13 in a row now. So I just think they've gone through it. These two teams played as well. It's a rematch of a game earlier that Kansas City won in Buffalo, I believe. And so they have that film to go back on. I'm obviously a believer in these second chance games, uh, the loser having a, a little bit of an advantage. So I'm, I'm going to pick Buffalo in the game. I might be crazy, but. No, I think I am too until we. You know, until I have an out later in the week to pick both teams, once Mahomes is cleared, <laughs> I can say I had it either way. But but what did you see in Mahomes that, that you didn't like as much in this game against, uh, you know, Cleveland? Maybe it was the toe that bothered him early on. I just didn't feel like he was as finely focused. They had four, I think, possessions in the first half or something like that. There wasn't many yep. possessions in the game to start with. So the premium on uh, fast break basketball isn't the same in those tight possession games. I could see... Buffalo possessing the ball quite a bit. It's almost like a four-corner effect. And then you do press a little bit on offense. You know, just a feeling I have, a little bit of a hunch that I think uh, Buffalo is a little more hungry right now. And uh, for all those reasons, I, I like their yeah. chances. Yeah, I, I kind of do too. We'll see how that goes. I want to get to uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting. So basically the way this works is there are 15 finalists, and I'm one of the whatever 47, 48 voters that will convene this week over Zoom. We usually meet the day before the Super Bowl, and we will have to narrow this list down to five. So I'm going to read the 15. Randy, I want you to, to sort of give me your five that you would go with based on, on what you know, and we'll, we'll talk about those, those guys. And if we want to talk about the process, we can too. But here they are in alphabetical order of last name. Jared Allen, Rondé Barber, Tony Baselli, Leroy Butler, Alan Fanica, Tory Holt, Calvin Johnson, John Lynch, Peyton Manning, Clay Matthews Jr., Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Zach Thomas, Reggie Wayne, and Charles Woodson. Pretty good roster right there. As you go into it, is it an easy five for you? No, it's not an easy five because my criteria is a little bit different, I think, than most of you Hall of Fame voters. So before I give you my five off that list, I would only say this, and one of the things that bothers me about this process is, and I, I know this is legislated, so it's not anybody's opinion, but I just think too many people go in. I just think it's a sacred hall 
that a lot of people get voted in because the numbers, they have to put in a certain amount of people, right? I understand that. Five, yeah. But, there's, well, it could be a little, know, yeah. I, I, I'm not against some years having only two or three if they're worthy. So I, you know about the process. I don't, but it just seems to me like so many guys get in. The other thing I use in my process is I want to find out, has the guy dominated at his position for close to a decade? I used to say 10 years, but we've had some guys on that threshold of seven or eight years. So he's got to dominate at his position for, let's say, seven or eight years in this case. In, in, for my money, Tony Baselli, no-brainer. Calvin Johnson, no-brainer. Peyton Manning, no-brainer. Woodson is next for me. And then my fifth guy was Clay Matthews. I saw him as, as a, a better player, I think, than most, because I think this is his last year of eligibility before he'd go to the senior circuit to get in. But those would be the five guys I'd put in. And then my criteria is, has he dominated at his position for, used to be a decade, but there's been shorter careers now that we've allowed in. So the really has come back to me is, has he dominated as a position for seven or eight years? That's the criteria that I've always used. That doesn't mean it's right. That's just what I use. So that's how I arrived at those yep. five names. Yep. They dominated at their position for at least seven or eight years. So I think everybody in that room or in our virtual Zoom on that is going to is going to agree with just about all with all of those guys. Except I don't think just from talking to people, I think mo a lot of people don't have an appreciation for Clay Matthews Jr. in that realm. Okay, now he played for a long time and was obviously very good. I would love to know because you saw just about well most of his career. He, Maybe he was a little bit before you, but I mean, a couple years. But you've seen a ton of him. Just to explain how he was elite as a player and why you put him in that group with people that uh, that Woodson's and those that other people more recently would say for sure. Um, I see Clay Matthews as uh, elite with versatility, um, can rush the passer, could do about everything. And his instinctive nature... Um, he was, for, for one thing, he's way more athletic than his son. Um, instincts to the ball. He was always around the ball. Give you everything. He was an old school linebacker, maybe the last of all the old school guys. And that's why I kind of felt like he should, you know, fit in. Um, compare him to Kevin Green, uh, that kind of guy. Maybe not the elite pass rusher Kevin Green was, but a similar type style player. Who would be your sixth guy? Was there anyone else that you were, as you look at that list, that you kind of thought, hmm, this guy's really close? I didn't, Mike. I mean, if I had to make a list this year, I'd put in four guys and Clay would be the fifth. Gotcha. I, okay. My locks were Baselli, Calvin Johnson, Manning, Baselli, and Woodson. Those were my locks. Yeah, and Baselli, he had about five great years. Six, seven probably. years, right? Yeah, he played six or seven. He played yeah. almost 100 games. Um, and I, I kind of am right. hopeful that that he'll go in. I mean, because I, I agree, I think him at his best was as good as anybody. So, um, and that's sort of what it is to me. Calvin Johnson, I don't care what anyone else's numbers are; he's just different than the other guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no yeah. doubt. So, yep, it's going to be fun. I always enjoy doing it. It's a little exhausting. It's always frustrating sometimes when you're, you know, when it doesn't go the way you wanted to go, and especially for these guys because they're so invested in it. It's time for Ask the GM. Let's close up, Randy, with Ask the GM. This Deshaun Watson story has not gone away. What do you think happens? Is this different from other player team disputes? And what would you take for Watson if you were the Texans and decided you had to move him? Yeah, it's it's gone above and beyond anything I've ever, you know, heard of or, or been around, that's for sure. And some of that's because of the life and times of social media and the way yep. this thing gets covered. Um, but it is clearly not going away. 
Um, I, in fact, I wrote for my blog on MuellerFootball.com today um, a couple of things that I would do. And I don't know how uh, Nick Cesario handles this. It's a total, you know, new, uh, new realm. But I think he has to make it clear right off the bat he's not going to trade him. If I were in that position, I would not trade him. Um, I would also have to deal with the Jack Easterby deal. Now, how he does that, I don't know, but that has to go away. You can't have that trust, that toxicity, whatever, if it's true or not. Perception is reality at this point. So yep. it's going to hinder the. If, if I'm Jack, I, I probably walk away. You know, that's just my feeling on it. I, I don't know how he could burden the franchise with this. And again, it may not be fair. I understand it. Not, not a lot of no, He may be a great here. guy who's getting totally smeared yeah. and all of Might that. Might be the best. But, but the organization is. The organization's yeah. bigger than him. It has yes. to be, right? Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly the words I used. And I think for that reason, he has to be willing to walk away if they don't make a change. You know, and then the third thing is, I think the coach hire is very important. And I do think at this point, and I'm normally not for this, but because of this transpiring, I do think they have to sit down with Deshaun or JJ or just kind of take the temperature of the room here. I'm not saying hire who they want to hire, but I do think you've got to mend fences here and find a, a little bit of a healer, a leader of men. And it doesn't, to me, to me, it, it, it's okay if it's an older guy. Because you don't, I don't think now, after what's happened, that they can make a hire that they think is going to be good for six or eight years. I think yeah. they got to fix right now. So long term for them to fix this problem is a year or two. And so if a guy's older, so be it. Doesn't matter. So all those things enter into that equation for me as, as far as what they should do and, and how the healing process should go. Yep, absolutely. Something's got to be done because this is not tenable. But I agree that the next big move is the hiring of the coach, how they handle Easterby. That'll go a long way to deciding, I think, whether this is going to linger and really yes. be a big, bad issue for a long time. or whether Well, I think it's going to linger up. forever if they don't do something about it. <laughs> I mean, I you hear the frustration in your voice, like, yeah. we got to do something here, you know? Uh, so, seriously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole place is on fire. So um, yeah. at least the perception of it is. And so that it, so therefore it is. Hey, everybody, thanks for coming along this week. Mike Sando, you can find my work on The Athletic. You can find me on Twitter at Sando NFL. Randy Mueller, the GM, you can find him at MuellerFootball.com and at Randy Mueller underscore. Randy, another week in the books. Can't wait to see what happens this week. Championship round. Hope everybody has a good one. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories of pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.